Let me ask you this. Have you ever been in a room and there was lots of commotion going on, but then someone dropped a statement and you could hear a pin drop in the room? Ever been in that kind of situation? Well, there must have been a deadly silence in that room that day. In Mark chapter 11 and Mark chapter 12, Jesus had been challenged over and over again. First it was the chief priests, and then the scribes, and then the elders, and then came the Pharisees, and along with them were a group you may not have heard of called the Herodians. And let me tell you a little bit about the Herodians. The Herodians were Jewish people that sympathized with the rulers of the Herodian dynasty. Think King Herod, are you with me? And therefore they sympathized with Rome, and they're depicted in, in Mark, when we get to Mark 11 and Mark 12, they're depicted as being allies with the Pharisees against Jesus, which I find to be quite interesting. In spite of their conflicting sympathies, think Pharisees over here with the Jews, Herodians over here with Rome, uh, they join together against Jesus. And you thought politics make strange bedfellows fellows was a term that's recent. No, it goes all the way back in history. And so we see all of this uh, challenging going on with Jesus in these verses preceding what we're getting ready to read. And finally, we get to a group called the Sadducees. You heard of them before? These are the people that had the sad face. No, that's not what it means. But uh, I think they were sad because they came to question Jesus about the resurrection and the hallmark of this group is that they did not believe in the resurrection. Wouldn't that be sad not to believe in resurrection, Christian? Wow. So Jesus refutes them, and he finishes with this phrase. You'll find it in a Mark, we're in Mark 12 today. You'll find it in verse 27, the last half of verse 27, when Jesus strongly says this, you are badly deceived. I think at that point, you could have heard a pin drop in the room. Crickets. Silence. I would say it this way, don't mess with Jesus. Well, how can I say that? Do you remember last week's sermon when we looked at the Great Commission, that other pillar of purpose? And Jesus makes this statement. He says, all authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. Don't mess with Jesus. And so we're going to pick up the story after this has just, just happened. Would you pray with me this morning? God, open our hearts to your word, not to my words, but your words, your revelation to us from Scripture, from your holy word. Remind us that this is not just an allegory or a fable with a morality lesson. But this is you, Jesus, interacting here on earth with those who would challenge you or question you. God, remind us today that there are many in our world who would challenge you or, or maybe just be confused or not knowing about you. May we be people that can share your good news 
that can share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Help us to understand today the importance of love. God, it is my prayer today that you would penetrate our hearts and lives, that you would make us receptive to your word and to the greatest commandment. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, let me give you the bottom line this morning. So it should be at the bottom of your sermon notes, I think, today. But the bottom line is simply this. There is no greater command. There is no greater commandment than this. Are you ready? Love God. Love others. Love self. Now hang with me for a little while. You might disagree with one of those. Don't, hang with me. We'll go through this. But that's the bottom line I want you to think about. I'm reminded of the song that's on the radio. Do you guys know who Danny Goki is? Love God and love people. Boy, that just goes over in my head. It's like, Lord, every time I turn the car on this week, that song was going. And, of course, the Lord chuckled and said, well, you're preaching on that Sunday. So let me just give you a reminder. <laughs> love God. Love others. Love self. And the word that's used here, we think of agape, but that's the noun. Agape comes from the word agapao, which is the action verb. See, we can think of love as a noun, a concept, no problem. But today we want to think of love as an, an action, a verb, if you will. So the question today would be, how can we apply this amazing first century encounter with Jesus to our 21st century lives. Well, let's take a look. Mark 12, starting in verse 28, going through 34. One of the scribes approached when he heard them, I already told you who them were, debating and saw what, that Jesus answered them well, he asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? This is the most important, Jesus answered. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love, there's that word, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher, he says this emphatically, you have correctly said that he is one and there is no one else except him. And, and to love him with all your heart, with, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Remember the room? Remember who's there? Interesting statement. Verse 34. When Jesus saw that he, the scribe, answered intelligently, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one dared to question Jesus any longer. So let's jump in and look at four things today. The first one I, I think we see in verse 28, and it's this. Let us hear and see Jesus. Verse 28, one of the scribes approached, and when he had heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked that question. 
Hey, what's, what's the greatest commandment? What's the most important one of them all? Now, I think it's interesting to note as we look at this that even those who um, were starting to admire Jesus or pay attention to what he was doing, even those tended to be constrained to criticize him a little bit. So I, it won't, I don't go as far as some people, but if you look in the mass, Matthew passage, Matthew 22, 35, Matthew records that this scribe was there to test Jesus. And yet, so I think he's kind of conflicted, okay? I, I, I think he's maybe been put up to the question or he's asking the question, but obviously he is recognizing something about Jesus, how he has dealt with folks and how he has answered. And so we need to hear and see Jesus. So we have a scribe. I want to give you a little history lesson. Some of you love that, and some of you are like, oh boy, gosh, do we have to do background? But let's think about scribes for a minute. They go way back. They functioned as secretaries to David and Solomon. Remember those kings? And by the time of Hezekiah, they were transcribing old records, and they became known for some things. They became known for scholarship as well as interpretation of the law. And that's what we probably know about them, and that's where we arrive today, interpretation of the law. In time, it seems, though, that the words of the scribes began to take precedence over the words of Scripture. That's instructive to me. Is that instructive to you today? How many of you have a favorite author? Come on. Come on. I could name them off. As much as we love that offer, we, we can't let their words take precedence over the words of Jesus. Are you hearing me? How many of you have a favorite commentator? Well, probably only those who teach Sunday school or those who are preachers, right? We have commentaries. We're like, we can't let those take precedence over the words of Scripture. But this is what is happening with these scribes. You see, a typical scribe had a training. He began at age 13, and he was enrolled in one of the rabbinical schools. And by the age of 30, yes, it took that long. By the age of 30, he's inaugurated into his office as a scribe. And successful scribes rose high to high positions in the land. And by the time of Jesus, by the time that this occurs, this was a close hereditary, if you will, social order. It was a complete order, a group of people. In fact, no priest could compete with them. So guess what many of the priests did? They joined in and became scribes. Well, why all this context today, Lamar? Why are you doing this? I think it's important to note the problems that, were, that Jesus was facing with this culture, with these people. He's been challenged and challenged and challenged, and we arrive at this point. And what we need to, to remember is that the scribes had identified, are you ready for this, 613 separate commandments. I thought there were the Ten Commandments. Hello? Six hundred and thirteen. Think about that for a minute. And they broke those into negative three sixty-five into positive two forty-eight. Do you see what side of the coin they're falling on? Wow, more negative than positive. But it gets better. They even divided up all these uh, commands, if you will, commandments into what they called heavy and light. Heavy meaning, well, this one's more important. Light meaning. This one is less important. And they even debated about it. And I just want to remind us, whatever we're involved in doing, if it gets in the way of ministry, if it gets in the way 
of impacting our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ can be a problem. Can you picture these guys? Not only are they working hard to identify all these things, and they're putting them into groups, but even after they have them in groups, they are debating, they are discussing, they are arguing. They sure are not ready for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They were in a mess. There's so many commands to keep. There's no way to do this day by day. In fact, if you study the Gospels, I just read this morning about them griping at Jesus and the disciples because they hadn't washed their hands a certain way on a certain day. It just goes on and on and on. You can read about this. There's no way to, to do this. And then we have this scribe, a brilliant expert of the law, who shows up and he asks the question. And I think his question here, Mark's passage makes it clear, it seems to be honest and straightforward. Let us hear and see Jesus. Well, does this happen with this scribe? Well, the first thing I want you to notice in, in verse 28 as you look at the scene is that he is in Christ's presence. He heard, Scripture says, he heard what had taken place. Uh, that's a, a verb, a biblical verb. It means to express forceful differences of opinion without necessarily having a presumed goal of seeking a solution. So he had heard all these things going on. Forceful, back and forth. But Jesus does have a solution. So he's hearing, he, he's experiencing this. And the question for us today is, do we hear Jesus? It's kind of hard to hear Jesus if we're not in his presence. Amen? Whether we're in prayer, or we're studying his word, whatever it might be. I would ask you this, do you hear the word of God? Do you hear Jesus, word of God? I remember the statement of the guy who wanted to, he said, if I could just hear God speak audibly. I think it was Steve Lawson who coined this term, and he said, you can hear God speak audibly. Stand up and read your Bible out loud. <laughs> so he's in the presence. Are we in the presence? Are we hearing from Jesus? Are, are, are we in his presence? So that's the first thing here. But then we are affected. Whenever you're in Christ's presence, you are affected. He saw something. Do you see it in verse 28? He saw that Jesus answered them well. That word means correctly, rightly, excellently. I like that. He saw that Jesus answered them excellently. He was stirred, I believe, by Jesus. And that's the next question. Are you stirred by Jesus? Okay, you're in his presence. Are you stirred by his solutions? Are you stirred by his answers, by his responses? Are you then motivated into action by what Jesus and his presence is doing in your life? Are you affected? That's a tough question, isn't it? We have this going on in our lives a little bit, don't we? We sure do. But are there times where we're stirred, we're motivated to be more and more like him, to take up our, cry, our cross, to deny self, to follow him even more, to make even more of an impact, to be even more intentional? 
And so in Christ's presence, yes. Affected, yes. The other thing I see here in this verse is uh, if this happens to us, we want to spend time with Jesus. Here's a scribe. Had the scribes finished? Oh, they had finished a long time ago. Who just finished? We could hear the pin drop in the room. It was the Sadducees. And I think probably the Pharisees were happy that Jesus shot down the Sadducees because they're kind of rivals, right? And maybe they even said, go ask your question. However it happened, I don't know. I wasn't there. But, you know, we can think about these things. But nonetheless, he is there. And not only is he just there, he's not standing in the back of the room, if you will. He engages Jesus with a question. He's now spending time with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It is a question. It's not an individual command. It's a characteristic of overarching quality. This is what he's coming at and asking Jesus. He's now spending time with Jesus, front and center, and there's no backing out. Once he steps forward with that question, there's no return. And there he is. How about us? How much do we engage Jesus and his word? It's not enough just to be in his presence. Really, we're affected, but something has to happen as we're affected by him. And we want to spend more and more time with him. We want to engage him. So let's make sure we understand this first foundational thought. Let us hear and see Jesus. Then we move to verses 29 and 30. And how I've entitled this is, Let Us Love God. And you see, there's no hesitation. There is just authority. And when Jesus says this is the most important, what he is saying is this is first in rank. This is first in importance. And then if you have a Bible that, that bold faces uh, the Old Testament references, you have that here in your scripture. Jesus starts out by quoting the Bible. What a concept. Hello, folks. Is that a good concept? When in doubt, quote Jesus. Yeah. And that's what he's doing. Jesus is quoting from the Bible. And he's quoting, actually, when we get to, the, uh, to this section here, the listen, Israel, and love the Lord your God. This is from, you may have heard of the Shema. This is from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6. And this is just the first part of it that Jesus is quoting. Now, this is interesting to me. The instant Jesus begins to utter these words, the people are right there. Why? Because they're, quote, unquote, good Jews. They, they not only knew the Shema, these verses in Deuteronomy, but there was another section in Deuteronomy later, and in Leviticus, all those things combined. This is what the pious Jew would do twice daily. He or she would recite this. And maybe you've seen um, Orthodox Jews. Maybe you, you've, you've heard of the little box that could be on the forehead or could be somewhere else. That's what's in there. And it's recited morning and evening. So when Jesus begins, he's got their attention. And it's very interesting. He starts off by basically saying, there's one God. And because of the fact that there is one God, love for him must be undivided. It cannot be diluted. It cannot be 
segmented it up. It is undivided. And no, notice what he says. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. So he jumps in there and, and he's talking about Jehovah, Yahweh, the covenantal name of God. There is no other. Now this is important for us to hear even today. Monotheism is the true belief. He's refuting polytheism and we need to do the same today. I'm still ruminating uh, Frank Turek. Remember him? It's just two weeks ago, right? Man, I want to be more like Frank. What about you? He's like my new hero. He's doing this. But we can be doing this as well, refuting these things. And Jesus makes it clear when he quotes Scripture. He says, it's the Lord. And then he says, the Lord, our God. It gives that personal idea of the Lord. We are his people, his sheep. He's our God. That's one of the main differences between gods with a low, uh, lowercase g and God of the Bible, capital G, is that there's that personal relationship. This is not an object or an idea or a theory. This is the Lord, our God. And then he says, the Lord is one, quoting still. It's one. What does that mean? The focus, the concentration of our life, of our attention, of our worship, of our love, of our praise. He, God, is the only subject of our devotion. There is to be no distraction by any other subject. Let's chew on that just for a moment and think about that. Man, what a standard for us to aspire to achieve. God, help me in my life. Help us in our lives to to be reminded, one Lord, don't let anything divide up my allegiance, my love. No distraction. And then he goes farther. He breaks it down even more. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Well, what is heart? Think sincerity. That might be a word you would jot down today, Sincer sincerity. Heart, the sincerity of the thoughts and the feelings. In other, in other ways of putting that would be uprightness, true-heartedness, as opposed to someone who is hypocritical or divided. Heart, sincerity. And then we see soul. That's more of our emotional nature. So think about that. Feeling, warmth, being put into love, fervor even. So we have this sincerity and we have this emotional aspect. And then we get to mind. This one's an easy one. Think intelligence, if you would, here. Putting intelligence into love. And it's so much more than just blind devotion. God has given us a mind to understand at least some things and to be able to not just blindly follow, but be devoted intelligently. But it must be put into love. You guys getting this? God has not given us intelligence and understanding to win debates. Hello? Although that's important. We do this with love. And then, of course, strength. And not all the Gospels get all four of these in, by the way, but Mark does. Strength, think, intensity. You might want to jot that down. Intensity into love. In other words, with all my might, with all my being... I'm going to love the Lord. 
my Lord, the one God. Now, I want to make it clear here, though, that the thrust is not to designate these parts of humanity. We need to be, carried, not, be careful not to just divide up all four of these and make them separate things way over here and here and here and here. The idea here is to show that we are to love God with this, 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 and this. No, put them all together. To love God with our entire being, with all that we are. Can you imagine that answer being given to the folks who were there? All of me. Well, I would ask you this question today. How's that working out for you? The staff begins to learn this question. You will at times. I love to answer that question. Well, how's that working out for you? You give me this, 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 and this. Well, how's that working out for you? You believe this, 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 and this. Well, how's that working out for you? And that's a good question today. How is that working out for us? That idea that all of me needs to love the one true personal God. I would ask you this. Is your love for God first in rank and first in importance in your life? That's a tough one, isn't it? If you're happily married, that's tough. If you got kiddos, that's tough. You know what the toughest one is? If you got grandkids. <laughs> Our first grandkid came out, Russ Presbyterian Hospital on the west side, and I get to see him. That's a test right there from the Lord. Do you, do you love me more than this little grandchild, all right? But we, that's the, the first in rank and importance has to be to God. Well, let's move on to another one. Look at verse uh, 31. Jesus says, the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment. There's no commandment, excuse me. There is no other commandment greater than these. Did you catch the word these there? Jesus now is still quoting from Scripture. Now he's moved to the book of Leviticus. He's quoting directly from Leviticus 19, 18. Now, I find this interesting. This scribe, he asked this question. He didn't ask for a second greatest commandment, did he? He did not ask for that. But Jesus gave it anyway. He gives this command. And he shows that they cannot be separated. I think in English it's not perfect, but even in our English, do you see how they're connected together? He does say the second is love your neighbor as yourself. And he says there is no other commandment greater than these. Puts them together. That's why our big idea today is there's no greater or more important commandment than to love God, love others, love self. And so he says, you're to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, the question for me today is, well, who is my neighbor? This has changed over time in Scripture. Originally, neighbor meant, if you'll go back and study, it meant one, literally one of your people. It meant Israelite to Israelite. But it wasn't very many chapters later in the Bible where it is expanded to include what the Bible would call resident aliens, not Israelites. And then Jesus blew it open when he totally redefined neighbor to include everyone. Well, Lamar, how can you say that? No, Jesus blew it open to everyone. That is your neighbor. Everyone is our neighbor. Remember, we're even supposed to pray for our enemies? Jesus blows this open. If you go to the Luke account of this 
this situation here. In Luke 10, it's a very quick question and answer, and Jesus gives a parable that goes towards love. Do you remember what it is, Bible scholars, Luke? The parable of the good Samaritan that blows it open to everyone. And so uh, that's our neighbor. Jesus shows us that it is impossible to really love God without loving neighbors. I want you to think about that for a minute today. I have pondered that. I have wrestled with that. I'm just a, a Christian trying to go through life like you guys are. Wow. What does that mean? To be able to love neighbors, everyone. Not just Mark on one side and Bobby on the other side of us. No. Not just my good friend here or there. Not just my coworker. Not just my schoolmate. Not just, you fill in the blank. Everyone. Even those who oppose you. So it's clear, it's impossible to really love God without loving neighbors. In fact, I would say this, love for God is expressed by loving others. How are you doing? How am I doing? Let us love our neighbors. Well, our neighbor, okay, but what about this love myself? Some of you have been waiting for me to get to this. You're like, love self, what does that mean? What is, where is he going? This can't be right. Hold on. When he says, love your neighbor as yourself, he is not referring to this. It's not a reference, a calling card to what I call this modern self-love. Have you experienced that? Modern self-love? There was a book written decades ago called I'm Okay, You're Okay. I wanted to write a book to refute that. I'm not, in fact, there probably was a book written, I'm not okay and you're not okay. We're all sinners headed straight for an eternity without creator God in a place called hell. Can we say hell in this church? I just did. I said hell. Did you catch that I said hell? I said hell. That's about five or six times now. And, and, and we laugh, but isn't that the reality of us? We're sinners saved by the grace of God. And so this is, loving yourself is not a reference to this modern idea of self-love, this the world is centered around me syndrome. Okay, let's just get that out of the way. It's something different. This, loving myself, reminds me that God wants all of me. And part of that is to find my significance in Him. Are you hearing that? Our significance, if we're ever to love ourselves, and so we can love our neighbors like ourselves, our significance can't be in our marriage. I'm sorry. It can't be in being mama or daddy. It can't be in being an expert at our job, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We have to find that our significance is simply the fact that we are a child of the king. Do you realize how many people are hurting in our world? Do you understand the suicide rate and what is happening? Maybe partly because of this isolation that's going on. But that our pediatric hospital right here is full and beyond capacity and it has nothing to do with the virus. It has everything to do with self-loathing. 
with not finding significance. If we want to turn the tide, Jesus is the answer to everything, guys, even suicide. Jesus is the answer to everything. We have to, first of all, find our significance in him. And that leads us not to self-loathe ourselves, which includes our past, which includes our past sins. And we need to be able to share that with other folks. We, we, we need to be reconciled and restored so that we can love others. That's what it means to love self, to love ourselves. And I fear in the church today, and I don't mean hopping down, but I mean in the church as a whole, I fear today there are too many wounded believers who have never found their significance in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe that God forgives? Let's take a poll. Who believes that God forgives sin? So, good. Thank you. So everybody had their hand up except those who weren't paying attention. <laughs> right? In fact, in Lord's Supper next week, we're going to really focus in on God's forgiveness. We believe it, but do we appropriate that in our life sometimes? We can't get past it. But this is an important thing for our culture, for those that we run into and have contact with. We want to love them, and one of the best ways to do that is for them to see how God has transformed us, how he's renewing our mind, how he's doing all these things in our life so that we might be able to love them. Okay, you feel better? Some of y'all are worried about love self, right? Like, uh-uh, can't be right. I think when we see it in that way, we understand it. And Jesus concludes, verse 31, with there's no greater command than these. Finally, let's look at our fourth point today. And it's this. Let us examine the words of Jesus and inventory our lives. It's interesting that only Mark's gospel gives the scribe's reply. So you can go look at the other gospels. And you'll find that only Mark gives the reply. Only in Mark is this scribe somewhat described favorably. Let's look at it, verse 32. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one, and there is no one else except him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered intelligently, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one dared to question Jesus any longer. So it's interesting that he throws out this, it's greater even than the burnt offerings and sacrifices that's hitting home to the people who are listening. That which is totally consumed on the altar and that which is partially consumed and then given out to others, Levites, priests, things like that. Okay, So he's covering all this. I find it striking that the scribe says, Jesus, you are right. Not only does this guy affirm what Jesus said, he restates it. Did you see how he restated it? What, that's a great thing we do with communication, isn't it? Now, let me restate that. I hear you saying, and then we do that. And here he does this. He says, Jesus, you are right. He restated it. He showed that he understand the difference between the letter and the spirit of the law. And then Jesus responds and says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You want to just spend a moment there. Think about not far. 
What does that mean? It tells me this scribe is still ignorant of a couple things. He is still ignorant of the fact that Jesus is God's beloved son. Go back to Mark 9, Mark 9, 7. And we, we think of the transfiguration here, Mark 9, 7, and we see this. A cloud appeared overshadowing them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. The scribe is ignorant. He's, he's not far, but he doesn't understand and recognize that Jesus is God's beloved son. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son. And then we go back to Mark 8, 38, and we see that Jesus is the one to be confessed. Jesus' words, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus makes it clear. He is to be confessed. And then in Mark 10, verse 45, we see that Jesus is the one who would suffer the substitutionary death on behalf of us, on behalf of this scribe speaking to him. 10, 45. And I turned one too many pages. Have you ever done that in your Bible? Yeah, here it is. Jesus' words. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He's not far from the kingdom. Hmm. You know what I would say as we wrap up these last two weeks of disciple making shown to us in the Great Commission and then of this great commandment? It would be this. We need a great commitment to the Great Commandment. In the Great Commission. I think that's what we need. We need to love God, love others, love self. There is no greater command. Now, just quickly, let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. Does that ring a bell with anyone? What do we call that? The love chapter, right? Love chapter. Now remember, in this one, this is the noun, this is agape, that word that we know, it's, it's the noun version here. But I just want to read a couple selected verses because I'm out of time and it's this. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 1. Listen to the power of conviction in our lives. If I speak the languages of men and of angels, but do not have, say it, love, I am a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I don't know if you've ever heard a clanging symbol, but it's annoying. <laughs> Let's move to verse 3. And if I donate, ooh, it's going to get us. If I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body to be burned but do not have, say it, love, I gain nothing. And then we look at the concluding verse, verse 13. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And you know it, don't you? But the greatest of these is love. Where are you today? Are you far away? Or are you not far? Where are you today? Do you need to let God reign in your life? Do you need to act with love in all situations? Do you have a, that relationship with Jesus? 
You can't follow this commandment without a total personal relationship with Jesus. Are we clear on that? God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. We, we have what's called a sin problem. All of us do. But God had a solution to our sin problem, which blows my mind because he's holy God. He can't even look upon sin, and yet the solution was to send his son to die on a cross for our sin. And the good news is this, that on the third day, he resurrected. And the power of sin, the power of death, the power of the devil, you name it, it's all been defeated by Jesus. Do you have that relationship? God's word simply says, believe, call out, repent, turn from your ways, and call out to God, and he will save you. Now, some of you, let me rephrase that. Most of us have already done that. We're Christians here today. So the question for us is, is there any area of our life where more love is needed? Let's pray. God, I want to pray today for those who are hearing this in this room. Perhaps they're hearing this online somewhere. And you're convicting us of the need for more love. The correct kind of love. God, I ask that you'd work in our hearts today. I ask that you'd speak to us. God, I pray for those that are listening to my voice right now that do not have that established personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who sustains all of the universe and holds it together. God, I pray that you would break through lives and hearts today. God, you would draw to yourself people who might cry out to you and say, I believe you are the Lord. You are the one God. Please come and transform my life and be my Lord. I confess, I repent my sins, I give them to you. I ask that you save my life. God, I pray that people would do that. And I pray for those who have, that you would show each one of us one other aspect of what love should be. God, it is so hard to love our enemies. It's even hard to love folks that we're ambivalent towards. You've commanded us to love. So God, I pray that today you'd customize this word from your word and that you would drop it in our hearts and laps that it would speak to us in a very personal way. God, we thank you that we can have purpose. God, we thank you that as we're in this world that's just crazy and going 100 miles an hour and just you name it, it's out there, that we thank you that you have given purpose to us. And it's to make disciples and it's to love. Thank you for that, God. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.